Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified profiting from your passions coach, Kate Bessler. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success. I'm Kate Fessler, and my guest today is Anna Rohrbaugh. Anna is a certified leadership trainer, coach, and speaker with the number one leadership team in the world, the John Maxwell team. Combined with this partnership, Anna's 15-plus years as a business owner and direct sales team leader have turned her into a master at helping others lead an empowered life. This past year, Anna had the privilege of being one of the select few who traveled to Paraguay to teach transformational leadership techniques with the John Maxwell team. After taking the TEDx stage in November 2015, Anna was hired as a TEDx speaker coach in 2016, helping others find their voice and deliver with confidence. Among many other roles, Anna recently took over as the managing director of eWomen Network for Greater Seattle Snohomish County, and she's running her own campaign to hold her first seat in public office as the next Muckleteo Councilwoman. Welcome, Anna. Hi, Kate. Thanks for having me. Anna, on your website, you write that as you grew up, you felt empowered by your dad, that he simply believed in you so deeply and you could feel it. Around him, you were fearless and you never questioned your life or your purpose. You had confidence that propelled you toward whatever it was you wanted. But just days after you graduated from college, your dad was tragically taken much too soon from you and your family. How did that impact you? You know, I think anytime we have a loss in our lives, it definitely impacts us. And I think what was, you know, we all have special people in our life that really are um, transformational to how we, you know, establish our pathway kind of going forward, I guess. And uh, my dad was one of those people that I could just, when I looked at my dad, he um, just had this energy and it was almost like he could see right to my soul. And maybe I could see right to his, I don't know, but he just helped me believe in myself. and. and it wasn't that I shared everything, you know, I didn't share my boyfriends, like, you know, like kind of that chatter um, with him. And, um, but when we had time together, it just grew my confidence so much. And I never really did things um, in my life to make him proud. I knew all he wanted was for me to make myself proud. And that was a really empowering thing. And I remember in high school, especially him telling me this was in the late 80s. I graduated from high school in 1990. And, um, and I remember him telling me, you know, Anna, there are so many opportunities out there for women. Be who you are and take advantage of who you are. Use everything at your disposal. And he wasn't t- saying, you know, he wasn't empowering me because I was a woman. But because I was a woman, he was saying, that isn't that is a strength of yours and use it and use it wisely Mm -hmm. and you know he was talking about you know loans that kind of thing opportunities that were opening up for women at the time and you know and that I I see how that has definitely impacted my life going forward when I was in college there were good times and bad times and you know I, I was fearless in a sense I would apply for jobs or apply for opportunities at the school and 
Um, you know, I was a Mariner ball girl for four years and, you know, it's oh, kind of like fun. if I wanted, yeah, I, if I really, you know, wanted to do something, I did it. And, um, I didn't really care about the other side of it. I didn't think I was going to fail at anything. And if I did, it didn't matter. Um, and then, I mean, it really was, uh, I graduated, I think it was like the end of July from the university of Washington. And that was actually the last time I actually saw him because he had, they had retired and moved to Eastern Washington and it was July 3rd at four o'clock. I got a phone call um, telling me that he was killed suddenly and oh, in an no. accident and um, he was only 51. I was only 22 and it pretty much changed the trajectory of my life going forward. I'll bet. So what happened next? <laughs> so, you know, at that point, you know, everything kind of came crashing down. I was this um, person I was interviewing for jobs, and I had an apartment right near Green Lake, for those of you near Seattle. And, you know, I was just, I mean, it was just fun. It was a really fun time in my life. And um, so I had lots of interviews kind of lined up, and um, I just, you know, didn't really know what I was going to do with the rest of my life yet, but, you know, it didn't, I was still kind of like, I wasn't questioning it. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, I realized right away that my dad, when I say they had, my dad had retired, my dad didn't ever really sit still. He was definitely an entrepreneur. So they had moved back um, to where they had grown up when they were kids to East, in Eastern Washington and had started a couple small businesses, one an orchard and an apple orchard and another um, uh, manu or home development business, land and, and, and oh, wow. property, property and homes. And, um, and my mom is a great support and office person and, you know, like office manager kind of type person, but she's not an entrepreneur. And um, I have an older brother and a younger brother. My younger brother had just started at Wazoo in college and my older brother was working in Yakima and it just felt like, this is what would make my proud, my dad proud if I went and helped my mom run her, run the business and help her get back on her feet. So I kind of gave up all the opportunities that I had started in Seattle and decided that was the best thing that I could do. And, and I realized that that was the moment looking back now that that was the moment I began making decisions for other people. And it wasn't mm -hmm. that it was bad decisions, but I gave up this idea of, um, you know, that our life, living our life was about when you make yourself proud, you make other people around you proud of you. And, um, and I flipped that and it was such a subtle thing that most of the decisions I started to make were about, would this make my dad proud? And, mm. and that was something new because I had never done that before. And I know that sounds odd, but I just had never been raised to do that. And um, it was always about taking responsibility for my life and how I show up in it. And, um, you know, I didn't know this was what I was doing then, but I can see how that kind of shaped things as I went forward. It shaped the jobs I took. It shaped how I began to, you know, kind of uh, navigate my way in my marriage forward. And, um, yeah, so, you know, that, that, that part I realize now with reflection is, is definitely how everything else was shaped going forward. Mm. Yeah, so you started making decisions based on what other people needed or you thought yeah. that they wanted from you as opposed to what you really wanted. I think a lot of people can relate yeah. to that. I think a lot of people end up there, especially 
in their 20s or, you know, when they're first starting out in life, because uh, it's just a natural thing, especially for women, to think of, you know, other people. And unfortunately, often we let go of ourselves in order to make other people happy, or as you said, make other people proud. Mm-hmm. So how did that work out for you? So you were, the, how long were you there? And, and was there a point where you said, you know what, I think I have to start thinking about myself again? Well, there are so many points along that line, but, um, you know, just to try to be succinct, which I'm not very good at, but, um, you know, when I, after a few years of, um, living in Eastern Washington and helping my mom, you know, kind of, and then event run and then kind of close out one of her businesses. Um, I actually started working there as well as a legal, legal secretary in this small town in Riverside. Um, there was, it's like 500 people. And in the, in the neighboring town, it's, I don't know, maybe 6,000 people. Um, so there really wasn't a lot of options for jobs. And, um, so I started working as a legal secretary. So that kind of gave me a little sanity a little while and, um, but then it was time to move on. So I was looking towards moving back to Seattle. And during that process, I rekindled um, my relationship with um, my college boyfriend, who I had dated for three years. And I um, ended up getting a double major in college, but that's, I'm using that as an excuse. But it took me five years to graduate from college instead of the typical four. So um, mm-hmm. my husband and I dated for three years in college. And then when we rekindled our relationship um we and we decided to get married in 98 I moved down to Utah um because he had gotten a job out there right out of school so and he was you know definitely starting to get established in his career and so of course you know like a lot of us we um you know I decided to move and kind of follow him in a sense so Mm -hmm. we got married and started our life in Utah and you know for any of you that have been married in your 20s um it was a it was a it's always interesting to navigate a relationship with someone else move to another state and and then move to a state where um where I'm surrounded by I was 25 at the time I was started immediately being surrounded by other women who already had one or two children. And so all of a sudden, I didn't see myself, you know, the person I was trying to reconnect to, I couldn't find myself in these other people that I was around. And, you know, there was a couple of years there it was a really big struggle and uh, my husband couldn't quite understand it. And I couldn't explain it either. And um, so I took a job as a financial consultant. And I think now I see, I liked numbers and I liked finance, but I think I, if I really want to be honest with myself, I think I started that path because I thought it sounded like kind of corporate and something I could do. And I had to do on my own in a sense, you have to build your client base. And, and I really realized, I think I, I chose that because I thought I would make my dad proud that this was kind of had what I had envisioned as having this like kind of big corporate career in a sense, you know, that mm-hmm. would be powerful and um, uh, make good money. And, um, and, and I liked many parts of it, but what, and, and this isn't anything against the predominant religion, but I started working with 30 men and um that really took a toll on, they were, they were incredibly gracious and nice people, 
but they had no idea how I fit in. So oh. for example, and for example, like when we would, they would do an, um, a, uh, you know, a get together with families or something, I would be seated with all the wives. Right? Oh. <laughs> and then they would all be seated, seated together. Right. And so it was after a couple of years of things like that. And, um, and just, having to check with my head, you know, always having these conversations of, you know, we didn't schedule that because I know you have to check with your husband. And, you know, it was kind of like, it was, I really wasn't in the space. I still don't think had grieved, you know, enough and hadn't found my place in our marriage and that kind of stability and who I am. And, and I, I just, I didn't want to fight that anymore. It just was not something I had ever been around and I, and I didn't want to fight it. So, um, well, that sounds I, like exactly the opposite of empowered. Totally. Exactly. And so I didn't know how to handle, I didn't know how to navigate my way through that. And, um, so, but what I did is I started my own small business. It was a pet sitting business because we couldn't find a pet sitter for our dog. And I ended up building a pretty good business doing that with a couple employees and so then I left the financial consulting industry and I think that was the actual probably beginning of a turning point of um, kind of clawing my way back and finding my way back to myself mm-hmm. um, but then of course you know then you add children on there and 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 get, trying to get pregnant and then finally getting pregnant and then having a miscarriage and you know oh. and then um, then eventually having my two beautiful children and um, and then kind of navigating how we handle that as far as um, child care and um, um, that kind of stuff. And a whole nother, whole nother turning point, of course. Yeah. So this was all happening in Utah. Yes. When did you end up moving uh, back to the Pacific Northwest? Well, my husband and I, <laughs> he had already been down in Utah for a few years. And when we decided to get married, I said, how long do you think we'll be in Utah? And he said, like, maybe four, three or four years. And he could see kind of when people got promoted and in his business. And I'm like, sweet, that's great. You know, well, that didn't happen. I was there for 12 and a half years. And, you know, it's an incredibly beautiful state. And we're very fortunate because you can, by the way, you can afford twice the size of your house as you can here. So um, it was really, really great and have our kids there and everything. But um, we were there a little bit longer than I thought we would be. And it was in 2010. Um, so um, 2010. So after I'd been there for 12 and a half years, my husband got an opportunity um, and it was a lateral move. But as soon as he told me about it, I burst into tears because something just told me that that was the moment. That's how we're going to get back home. And, um, and oh. yeah, we were able to make it, he, he, he jokes about how, um, as soon as he told me about it, that, you know, his boss had said, you know, there's this opportunity for this, um, uh, regional position in Washington. He said, I started crying and within two hours I was on the phone with a real estate agent and he was right. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, you know, it was like, not I anxious was or home. anything. Was going, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I was going home. So that was really great. Awesome. So what happened to your business? You can't sit for people's pets in Utah if you're living in Washington. Yeah. So I actually um, sold that business um, after I had my daughter. Um, I remember walking out of the door one time and because, you know, when you own your own business and it's a service oriented business, you know, you're, you're 
doing things at night and holidays and things like that. And I remember walking out of the door one time and my son, who was two, two, almost three at the time, was kind of toddling around. And, and my daughter was, I think she was about six months old. And my husband was laying on the couch and holding up in the air. And everybody was giggling, you know, because her spit had come out of her mouth and got into his mouth, you know. Everyone had those things. <laughs> and everyone started laughing. And then I was walking out the door. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to miss that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that was a turning point where I decided to sell that business. And then, um, so this is going to be a long story on, on what I started to do and how I got into um, leadership. But um, it was about six months after that, that I was, had been home, which is not something that was the first time I had never hadn't worked since I was 15. And I was 32. And, and it was, I felt like six months was supposed to be, you know, transition period, but but I did not, again, I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm losing myself again. And I didn't want to go backwards. I didn't want to remember, I didn't want to kind of like, who am I again? Right. Mm-hmm. I had, I, I was really scared of losing my identity again. And, um, and so I remember this moment where I was sitting, um, I was talking to some people that my husband worked with and the guy was asking me, his name was Dave, and he was asking me, you know, how are you or, you know, what are you doing? And all I was doing was talking about my kids. And he's like, no, I mean, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm doing this with the kids and I'm doing that, you know, and it was all of a sudden I heard this whisper in my, in my head. It was like, where are you? And mm. the next morning I was sitting um, on our couch and I kind of was, I was thinking about this and was kind of frustrated. And I picked up these magazines and I saw this runner's magazine and it said run your from zero to 26 and something within that hit me there's a picture of a person on the magazine and there was something in her face and the how however the photographer captured it um, but it was like this resilience and persistence and tenacity and accomplishment and purpose and passion and power and it was like oh okay I can do this I can do this I wasn't ready um, I wasn't ready to start a career yet again because I did want to be home with my kids. I didn't want to have to, you know, put them in daycare and do all that, but I didn't want to lose myself anymore either. So that kind of started a journey um, for a few years. I ended up running six marathons, and I would say that that gave me the strength and the connection with myself then that when I wanted to start working again, I was so open to opportunities and I was just much more happier and content mm-hmm. that I was able to kind of see things going forward. So that led into me um, um, starting direct sales and, and I started, I didn't wear a lot of jewelry and I started, um, you know, but again, it kind of just happened randomly. Someone introduced me to a catalog and I'm like, how much does this start to get in, you know, to get in and they're like $120 and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And it was like, I and even in that moment, I remember feeling like I did when I was 20. Like, I didn't even have to come up with a plan. I just made the decision and started acting on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what happened. And then those next seven years, I had um, a lot of really incredible success. And so during that time, it was a few years in Utah. And then when we moved back to Washington, that's actually what helped me transition back into um, moving here, you know, I needed immediately to start 
building relationships and connecting with people so I could continue my business, keep my team solid, and keep winning awards and all that great fun stuff. And that actually helped me transition while I was here. And I I lost track of your question, but. um, (laughs) I think you answered my question. Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anna, you are a busy woman. You are currently a board member of the Snow Isle Library Foundation, chair of the Economic Alliance Snohomish County Ambassadors, or EASC for short, and you serve on the Small Business Connections Board for EASC. You're a board member of the Muckleteo Chamber of Commerce, and you serve on the Muckleteo City Long Range Planning Committee. You also just took over as managing director for the Greater Seattle Snohomish County Chapter of eWomen Network, and you're running for a seat on the Muckleteo City Council. A recent guest on this podcast, Karen Sands, wrote a book called The Greatness Challenge. It certainly seems as if you are rising to meet that. How are you able to fit all of this, plus a business, plus a family, into just 24 hours a day? I mean, you know, if anyone, could, if everyone could answer that question, wouldn't we all be like super millionaires? Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think some of those roles that you mentioned, um, are pretty simple and I chose uh, there's uh, two three different boards there um, I was asked and I chose those very carefully um, because of the requirements of it and mm. um, so you know sometimes you can be on a board where you're pretty much running a lot of stuff and it's taking hours upon hours but the boards that I'm on um, really take about maybe three hours a month so But yet I have a voice in the process and I bring my experiences in leadership and as a coach to it. So, um, so, you know, some of those, while it sounds great, they're pretty, you know, they're pretty easy to manage, I guess, going forward. And then um, some of the other things that you mentioned um, take a little bit more time, but I think what I've been able to do, which I'm now going to be applying into, um, the role that I apply into most of the roles that I do is I build a team around me of people that uh, that know what their strengths are or I'll help identify their strengths and I put them in those roles that man bring them joy and happiness and I put them in I and I attract people that maybe have different strengths than I do so for being the chair of the Economic Alliance Snohomish County for example um, I created a leadership team where there's six of us. And so everybody has a role. And I think that's important for women because I think you mentioned it before the break. You know, we like to, or something about it, you know, we like to control things or we like to um, do a lot of things for a lot of other people. And I think in leadership, we have to be really wise about um, our roles and what our strengths are and allowing other people to do theirs. And, you know, that's, that takes a lot of trust and, you know, and I think that's one thing that a good leader can do is not only earn people's trust, but also then in return, trust people in the roles mm-hmm. that they have. So that's, I, I really say, I really think it's great having great teams. Yeah, it is, important it. <laughs> it is important yeah. to be able to, uh, to trust other people to help you. And that's something, again, that women aren't always very good at is asking for help and allowing other people to help. Uh, so that's that's um, that's a good thing to mention. So you're a leadership coach and speaker partnered with the number one leadership expert in the world, John C. Maxwell. 
What does that mean? And what attracted you to the John Maxwell program, to that team? Um, well, I'll start with what that means. Um, you know, I coach people one-on-one, so I help people really find kind of the leadership qualities within themselves and within them, themselves. So um, really identifying their strengths, what they're passionate about, what they have a value to offer, um, and also how they want to navigate change in their life. People are usually coming to me because they want to do something different. And I don't mean they want a different job, but they want to maybe get to the next level or they want to influence people to maybe get them to do their job better or, you know, different things like that. And so it's, I always kind of look at leadership as, you know, we want to, you know, bring others around us and help inspire them to, um, you know, you know, to do their job and, you know, to lead people forward. But how I kind of go at it is, it always comes back to us and where's our integrity? Um, where's our, you know, where's our character stand? Are we doing what we ask other people to do and, you know, really get in touch with that. And then also, in a, if they are already run, running long, large teams or I'm in a corporate world or something, um, you know, where are their strengths and what kind of team members do they have around them and how are they empowering them in their strengths? But I think more probably related to, maybe the people that we're speaking to today. So how do you, you know, if you're running your own business and you're a solo entrepreneur, um, how, how do you lead yourself forward? How do you kind of lead yourself through all the obstacles and criticism, you know, navigating your way through the inner critic is a gigantic one that I deal with quite mm-hmm. a bit with my clients. And, um, and then also how do you stay true to the promises that you're making to yourself? And, you know, that has to do with setting priorities and things like that. Um, The way I found the John Maxwell team was really actually quite organic. Um, I was in direct sales, as I mentioned, and I had was, um, you know, leading two teams, one up in Washington and one in Utah. And, you know, I really loved that part. It brought out these inherent strengths that I had since I was a kid that my dad would recognize. I was a senior class president and then I was active in my college and then, you know, other leadership roles. And I had forgotten about that. I had forgotten that I loved leading people and really encouraging people. And so in the process of my direct sales business and um, when, when I got promoted up and started kind of managing these other women there were two things that came out for me. I loved empowering other people and I loved leading. And Mm. so it was kind of, and I, and I realized now again with reflection that part of my purpose in my life is to empower people. And I say people because I work with quite a bit of men too, but, but often I'll say women because, uh, because, because of the connection with my dad, I love empowering women to find, you know, to empower their, in their voice, to find their voice so they can really kind of live the life and the business and build the business that they want. So mm-hmm. that's definitely connected from, you know, from having that as a child and then also knowing what it's like to be without it and then having the doubt and the belief, having to find that belief again. And, and I think if I hadn't lost my dad, um, I wouldn't be able to relate with people as as much. Um, a lot of the people that I work with never had that kind of empowering person in their life. Mm-hmm. And I can relate because I knew what it was like to not have it. 
and I knew what it was like to judge myself for thinking that I should have all my crap together, um, but I didn't, right? I didn't ever feel like I did. So um, when I was in direct sales, when I got to a point where, um, was after I moved here, I got to a point where a lot of the out outlying people that weren't on my team or in my downline, for those of you that know direct sales, um, were starting to come to my groups and my leadership uh, meetings. And, and so I was starting to empower kind of and motivate and, and, and educate other people around me. And I saw a need. And so I started talking to corporate because I had some influence and had started to do more training nationally and things like that at, com- at the conference and stuff. And um, I started to say, we need more leadership training, not how to get more hostesses or not how to run our, you know, parties and that kind of thing. But we need more training for leaders. Mm-hmm. And they tried things here and there. And you know, I, I was getting really passionate about that. But I also was get, hitting a plateau in my business. and. So I went to this conference and um, a friend of mine said, I'm going to this conference that's about how to lead direct sales teams, but it was outside my industry. Um, And so I was like, okay, I'll go. I'll go. She was super excited about it. And I was sitting at this conference and the second day in, something kind of overcame me. And I realized that no matter how much I searched on the outside, no amount of outside motivation was going to help inside motivation and I just mm-hmm. you know I'd already I was I was done I wasn't learning anymore and I knew that there was something more I wanted to do I just didn't know what it was and when I was sitting there in this conference um I put my pen down I stopped taking notes because I realized I'd taken notes 50 times on all this stuff before right mm-hmm. it was great information and my friend was super excited so I wanted to just be present for her because I could tell it was triggering things in her and it was going to help her you know and she had that inner motivation. And all of a sudden, and I call it, you know, I call it the three pillars of leadership. And number one is listen to the whispers you hear. Mm-hmm. I literally, I didn't hear audible, so it's not like too woo-woo. But it was like <laughs> this knowingness, right? Like, you know, I don't want to freak people out. But it was like this whisper that kind of came through me. And it just, I leaned back in my chair and all of a sudden I heard this. You're not supposed to be sitting here. You're supposed to be standing up there. Ah. And, you know, there was a speaker on there and I just got chills even just saying it because I remember just sitting there going, what do I do with that? I had no idea what to do with that information. And um, so when I came back from Dallas, I didn't tell anyone. I kept it. I kept it really private. And but I started to kind of like Google, you know, we all have a Ph.D. in Google. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, And so I started to like, you know, Google leadership and speaking and you know what that mean and 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 then I came upon on Facebook um this mentor this past mentor I had and she was a part of this John Maxwell team and so when I started googling about that and then I called her within a week I remember I remember being on the phone with her and her telling me about this certification program and John Maxwell himself and it was all about being empowered and empowering others and service, leading, speaking. And it was just everything she said. And, you know, and, and having like and being connected and the kinds of people that were getting certified, being CEOs of huge companies and, you know, regular people like me. And it was just like, I, I remember talking on the phone and I'm not a pacer when I'm on the phone. 
but my body was like vibrating and it was like, it was one of the most surreal moments I ever had. And so it was one of those moments I just said yes. And it was a lot of money. I didn't tell my husband for a few months. (laughs) So (laughs) I, you know, I, it was a lot of money. And um, anyway, so that's really how I found the John Maxwell team. And when I went and got certified, I remember it was in, it was in Orlando and I've been back many times since. I remember halfway during the conference, just feeling like I was home. Mm. And I was surrounded by people like my dad had been for me and high level people, people that were risk takers, but also did it, you know, uh, did it carefully. And, um, and I just, I, it just felt like I was home. And that was in 2013. Wow. That's an experience I think everybody is looking for, right? Like I've found it. it. This is it for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So what are some of the leadership challenges that you see that maybe are unique to how our world is today? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think you mentioned my campaign. Is that right? Did you mention that, that I was running for city council? Uh, not yet, but we could talk about that now oh, if you'd like. Sorry, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, uh, Kate. Uh, well, you made me think of the leadership challenges today, and I think um, what I see oh, – that's a good question, Kate. I think you stumped me. But I think what I see is this lack of um, do as I say, not as I do. And um, I, I know that simplifies it a lot, but, you know, I think – that what I would really like to make a difference in the world today, right? You know, and I think we make a difference one person at a time. So anytime, you know, we say that doesn't mean we have to be huge, high in a public figure role. It can be just in our own house or within our own friends. But, you know, I would like us to start taking more responsibility for how we react and our actions and what we want to change about the world. So, you know, and that kind of led me into, um, as I started to become, you know, as I started to um, do more leadership development and, and teach more and speak more, um, I started to see the impact I could have with a bigger group of people. Mm -hmm. And then I started to kind of look at my community and it was just, again, kind of organically with the different groups I'm involved with and being very much involved with the Muckleteal chamber here in Muckleteal, which is the city I live in. um, I started to see that, you know, some of my strengths, could really, I think that I could make a difference. And, you know, things just kind of started to get in alignment. And I, I brought that up probably a little too soon, but I brought that up because I would, I started going to city council meetings. And what I saw was um, slight unprofessionalism to the teams, like the staff that is actually mm. bringing them the information. And it was kind of like, and then you looked at all the chaos last year in the national level. And Mm -hmm. it was kind of like, what happened to just pure professionalism, you know, running on the assumption of good intent. And if you have a question, ask a question, but don't line up your questions for gotcha, right? You know, I'm trying to get you when really you're supposed to be collaborating, working as a team. And um, I think that's a huge challenge. What I see in different businesses and, and some of the things I see shift in people that I've worked with in their businesses. They see that they can ask the question, 
to people. Being a leader doesn't mean you have all the answers. You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. we'll get promoted mm-hmm. into a position and we think we can't, now we can't ask people because now we look like we don't deserve it, right? This fraud syndrome, and there's a lot of talk on that, this imposter syndrome, right? And I think that's what I would like to subtly shift, that we get in these leadership positions for a reason, and it's not because we're supposed to know more than anybody else. It's, it's because we're supposed to ask more questions than anybody else. So helping people see that, you know, you, you have to be very care- you have to be careful about who you ask the questions to, and you have to also be ready to receive the answer. But asking the question, what am I missing? You know, this role is new to me. What am I missing? What What do you know that I need to know? And um, I would like to see more leaders in our in our world, you know, in our nation and in our cities, start asking that question of other people. What do mm-hmm. I? What do you know that I don't know that I should know? And, um, and then actually listening to the answer and taking it in and not automatically <laughs> rejecting it because it doesn't align with what your current view is. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's how you'll find the the common ground. There's always common ground. And um, you just have to find You have to search. So to me, that that's a strength of mine. I love used to love to do all these little – I never did the Rubik's Cube. I hated that one. I just took it apart and put it back together. But <laughs> I just did the quick path. But all the other puzzles, like, you know, I always loved – my mom could always find me, you know, like kind of playing, trying to problem solve this puzzle. And, um, and I love that. And I think that's kind of, you know, that excitement and kind of passion for that kind of – thinking outside of the box and trying to find a solution is what I bring into different leadership roles. And, um, you know, I, I think it's not always the loudest voice that, that should win in a sense, right. Should win the election or, you know, um, I, I'm trying not to say win cause it sounds so competitive, but yeah, I mean, it shouldn't always be the one with the most, I have a lot of charisma, but the one with the most charisma and all that, it shouldn't be, it really be the one that, that's really authentic that, you know, that no matter what decision they make, rather, if you like it or not, you're going to know why they came to the decision and, and then how they're going to apply it. And I think if we could have more people in leadership roles and businesses and in politics in that way, we'd be a much better community. I agree a hundred percent. The loudest voice is not always the right one. It's just the one that shouts out everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. Right. 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 So you're an accomplished speaker and you've had an opportunity to speak on the TEDx stage. Tell us about that experience. Wow. Okay. That was one of those things when I, you know, when someone had recommended me and said, you know, I, I've seen who they're starting to pick and I think that you, you would be good at it. They had seen me speak. And um, so that was one of those moments when I, um, I, I said, well, how do you apply? And they said, you just need one, you know, one or two sentences of the, the idea that matters. Right. Um, and so, you know, of course, one or two sentences took me like a days to figure out, right? But <laughs> right. Um, but it was before uh, I remember, right? I, in fact, I'm sitting by my computer, but I was sitting. So I'm actually doing this, but I was sitting over. My, my finger was hovering over the enter key, at, you know, to send the email. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then I sent it. And then as soon as it went, I went, oh my god. Oh no. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. I really, I. I really, I want this. And then, oh my God, I don't really want this. Like it was both instantly. Like, what did I do? And then what did I do? You know? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of when the fear started to like, oh my gosh, this is like, 
so something must have told, you know, something, I must have felt that I was going to get chosen. Anyways, I did get chosen. And the same day I got chosen to speak on the TEDx stage, funny enough, I've never shared this. I also got a call that I wasn't chosen to do this big facilitation for this other project. And oh. when she called me to tell me, no, she was like, I feel really bad. I really wanted you, but this, this other, you know, and I was like, I go, it's okay because I just got chosen to be a TEDx speaker. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do that. So I'm like, you know, it's like, you know, letting something go to let something in, I think was a really beautiful moment. Um, mm. But speaking on the TEDx, I have redefined what TED means. And, you know, I, now there's an acronym when I talk to people that I coach for TEDx speaking or, or people that are, you know, in the process of doing it. Um, the acronym I use is terror, experience, and determination. So um, because I don't <laughs> care who you are, you're going to go through some terror. And, um, you know, all the people I talk to that have done a TEDx, they say the same thing, that they prepared more for that than they've ever prepared for anything in their life. And, mm -hmm. and so it's, a, it's not just delivering it that day. For me, the TEDx experience was about what you learned about yourself on the journey. And, and for me, it was kind of what came out, what was the, the song, I guess, right, that kind of came, emerged from my soul and then crafted itself into the 12-minute speech and or talk. And um, it was an incredible, incredible experience. But the one thing that I love the most about my experience is that I was partnered with Snow Isle Libraries and they had a coach for us. They had support for us. So anytime, you know, there was that, that fear that came up, you had someone to reach out with or they were kind of always, you know, um, putting things together so you could get feedback on different things. So you really did feel like you were part of a community. And I don't think everybody has that experience. So for anybody out there that's looking for a TEDx experience, experience, Research the different ones that do it because you'll want to be supported and people around you won't quite understand what's happening. And, and that, that would be my first little piece of advice for people that if they have an interest in doing that. Mm -hmm. Well, one of my earlier guests, Valerie Young, who is actually, it's interesting that you brought it up, the leading expert on the imposter syndrome <laughs> and oh, speaks fantastic. all over the world about it, also had an opportunity to do a TEDx talk. And she had the same experience. You know, she it was nerve wracking. And, you know, like you, she's had the opportunity to be in front of huge audiences. And this was particularly stressful. Um, similar to what you were describing. So having had that experience, you now actually coach people, right, on TEDx speaking, presumably to help them through that process, like you were saying, the Snow Isle Library people helped you. How does someone get this opportunity? So you just apply? Is, is that all you have to do is just send them kind of a, a proposal um, to, to have the opportunity to do a TEDx talk? I think that I think mo what I've seen is that a lot of them do it differently. So you're not going to get. I'm, I I don't think there's one. There's not one answer. Um, okay. I know the Snow Isle Library ones in Snohomish County. Um, Snow Isle stands for Snohomish and Island Counties, and um, they do it where. Uh, and, and I think they might be tweaking as years go goes on, but um, they do it where now you do kind of 
what you want to talk about, your kind of the points you want to make, and you submit it. And if you have any videos of talks or links to anything like that, add that. And then and then you write, you know, why does it matter? There's always a theme every year. Um, last year it was transformation. Um, I can't remember what it was. My year, honestly. Oh, uh, something about the future. And um, so, so that process was um, – kind of interesting because you didn't have to have like your whole speech done but some other TEDx's they want you to have a video of it they want you to have a video of you know at least maybe five minutes of what you're going to talk about and so you can kind of like look and see which ones want what and what you want to have but you know any of that preparation is going to help you I think so are these regional is it just something people should again Google <laughs> to find out yes, um, all, where they are. Like in, okay. yeah, in, they have one in Seattle. Snow Wild Libraries has one. And anyone can do one. You just have to apply for the license. And um, and then you have to go through an application. And, um, I mean, anyone. I mean, you have to have some backing and funding and that kind of thing. So, um, But, like, I know Bellevue Community College had one. And, um, okay. and so those are the local ones that I know of. But they're all over, all over the different states. Um, we had some people fly in for ours because um, they wanted to be a part of ours. And um, so, yeah, they're all over, and people can just kind of Google TEDx in your local area. And they're usually named after the city that they're, they're held in, if that oh, makes okay. sense for people. But I would say just question. If, I, I've heard this so much in the last two years, and I always kind of hesitate because I don't want to break anybody's heart. But I always hear, oh, yeah, I want to do a TEDx. And I say, what do you want to do it on? Well, this or that or whatever. And it's something that you've heard 50,000 times. Mm. And all I have to say is, and not that mine wasn't anything that you heard, didn't hear again, right? But if you really want to get on the TEDx stage, you have to have a different take on something. And it's not that you can't talk about social media and have a different take on it. It's just what's your what's your idea that matters? What's your um you know, what's the twist on it, right? What's the interesting little nugget? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, so you just want it to be extra interesting. And right. it could be through a personal story or it could be something like that. But that, if that's something on your radar list, then think about what makes it unique. What makes it un- unique to you? What are you connected to about it? And then if, you're, if it's unique and you're connected to, it will connect to an audience. Good advice. So you're running for public office now, um, Mukilteo City Council, and you've had experience with this transformational leadership, uh, teaching in Paraguay and working with individuals and corporations. Are the principles of transformational leader transformational leadership universal? Like, do they apply to business as well as to elected officials and other others in government roles? Like, is it the same? general idea i think in our um theoretically yes absolutely they should be the same right um i mean yes i think what makes a good leader in their home makes a good leader on the pta makes a good leader in the in the, in the on city council makes a good leader as a ceo one of the greatest um little things i saw was the ceo of linkedin and he was talking about compassionate leadership. And I heard this, like, I think two years ago, and it still resonates with me. And he was talking about how, how you can still be a strong leader 
But when you lead from compassion, and it's not like how maybe we as women think of compassion. When you lead from compassion, it helps everybody do their job better and live their life better. And so what he meant by that is, you know, if, if, if he's a CEO, right? And so he, you know, has to hire and fire lots of people. And so he's saying, don't keep somebody in a position where it's because people know when they're not working well and when they know mm-hmm. they're not working in their strength zone. And when you keep somebody in their position too long, you're, you know, you're basically um, allowing their confidence to get drugged down. So right mm-hmm. when you finally do fire them or let them go, they're at their worst moment. And mm-hmm. then they have to go out and try and like pretend they're happy and, you know, strong and can are resilient and, and go find a, a new job. And that, that does a disservice to an employee rather than um, doing them the right service of saying, hey, I, this is the path I see. You know, this is what we're missing. These are what I see are your strengths. And this is what we need in this position. You know, I think it's time for us to let you go. And 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 this is what you've made a difference of, right? And so mm-hmm. and that really resonated with me. And I think that if we could help people identify that a little bit more in all aspects of our businesses and in politics, I think that, um, I know this sounds also very Pollyanna-ish, but I think we would do a, a big service to our our nation and our community. Yeah, well, that's and why think, they call it transformational leadership, right? Because right. it's a little bit different than what we've, what we've been used to. Yeah, and I have to say, even running for city council now, um, you know, I'm drawing on all these. It's really fun because I, I believe if you're going to teach something or train people on something, that you should be continuing to walk the walk in it. And that was one of the caveats for me running because it was kind of, well, what's my next thing? What can I do to kind of get out of my comfort zone? And what am I passionate about? And I've always been passionate about politics. That actually was one of the majors. I had economics and political science in college. I never had the idea that I was going to run for a public office. Um, until recently, but now I can see how there must have been something there, right? A seed must have been planted somewhere. But even in the running up for this office now and having to kind of articulate where I stand and, well, figure out where I stand on different issues, I can see how even, um, how, how hard it is and difficult it is to stay within my values and what I'm deciphering is of what I see as the right path forward and what I'm hearing from different citizens, and how that's not necessarily in alignment with one party or the other. When I started the race, it, you know, I thought that maybe this was how I was going to be. And I see now when I gather more information, that in one aspect, I'm making a decision in a different way than I probably thought I would. And then another issue I'm making, and I, w- I can see how I'm probably going to make a decision or vote for something in a different way than I thought I was going to be. And I think... Mm-hmm. I think that's what's wrong with the world today is we think we have to be this person and always have the right, um, you know, in politics, for example, the right, like, party. You know, this is the party line. And I think in our business we think this, too, is, like, it's a linear path to our success. And so we want to stay there and not veer from the path. And I'm seeing already what I'm learning is, no, you know, what you thought, you just throw that out the window. Because you're not going to know until you know. And um, so it's kind of like driving a car at night. You can't see around the corner until you drive around the corner. And mm-hmm. then you can make a choice, you know, because that's where the light is shining. So um, that's kind of how I see 
I see how everything can kind of is 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 the same. I think leadership should be the same, um, no matter what, you know, rather than whether it's in your business, in a big company, or in politics. Yep, and I also I, I appreciate your willingness to be open-minded and to change your mind. I know that politicians often get uh, criticized for what they call, you know, I don't know, waffling or flip-flopping or whatever, yeah. but to me, it shows that the person is actually engaged and paying attention and listening and can be influenced by by information as opposed to don't confuse me with the facts, right? Right. And I actually yeah. trust someone more who is open-minded than someone who is so rigid that they'll not change their position no matter what. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if we could change one thing in this world, it's that. When people say they changed their mind, well, of course they changed their mind because they have much more information than they had two years ago. Like, right. I've changed what I do. You've changed what you're doing. Everybody on this call or podcast is, has changed something about their life because of the information they gathered along the way. Absolutely. And, if you're uh, doing it right, you're evolving. And so hopefully you aren't still thinking the same way you did 20 years ago because that's yeah. probably not very healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I think you hit it on the nose right there, Kate. No, that's that's huge. So we're almost out of time. So I need to ask you, uh, what is one book or resource that changed your life that you would recommend to people? Oh, my gosh. You know, you told me you were going to ask me this question, and I forgot. So, okay, I'm kind of looking at my uh, – on top of my desk is a big ledge. So um, it's actually not there. I would say – I'm going to go all the way back. I mean, I have lots of John Maxwell books that I love, um, but I'm going to go all the way back to that moment in Dallas when I was, um, when I heard that whisper of, you're not supposed to be sitting here, you're supposed to be speaking up there. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I was in shock, I think a little bit, like not knowing what that meant. But I remember those, uh, the people running that event, there were three or four um, speakers throughout the, the weekend. And they did this very thing that you're asking, what book? And all of them said, um, the, the book by Byron Katie. And um, she asked, you know, is that the truth? And I'm going to, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the book. I'm pulling it up really quick. because You know, the magic of Google again. Um, right. She, um, shoot, it's not coming up here, but it will. Um, oh, it's called The Work. And um, uh -huh. it is. Is a super um, introspective, and it makes you look at trauma and situations in your life completely different. And it's almost never the trauma or the thing that happens; it's the thing that happens after the thing that happens. So, right, I related that to it wasn't my dad dying, but it was how who I became and the choices I made after that mm -hmm. helped that that in the, in the beginning um, took away the belief that I had in myself. And it was, oh. it was kind of that loss. You know, it's, it's never, right, it's never being bullied. It's never the person bullying you that bothers you, right? It's the people walking, looking around on the inside and not out on the outside and not coming to your defense. And that cuts to the core of, am I worthy? Mm -hmm. And um, so that book to me, it, you know, it's a tough read. I gave it to my mom. She did not like it. Um, but so it's, it's, it's tough, but it goes in there. And if you're willing, it, it, it can shift some things for a lot of people. 
Mm, excellent recommendation. So if people want to find out more about you and your work, um, or I know you have a, uh, a workshop coming up, Leadership Gold, if they want to find out about that and register for one of the limited spots in that, how can they do that? Well, they can contact me or they can go right to my website, which is um, A-N-N-A-R-O-H-R-B-O-U-G-H.com. And um, there's a link on there for Leadership Gold. And it's a 10-week series, and it's every other week so you have time to kind of apply it. And it's a teleconference. So we get on the phone, I teach the lesson, and then we have open question and answer time. So you get to, like, tap into me as a coach at that time as well. And um, I really go through how to identify your strengths. So you can everything that we do, you, can, you apply to yourself. And you can also apply to other people. And so it's, to me, it's a foundation of leadership. So you, you, we touch on how to, um, how to find your strengths and how to work in your strength zone and, the, and why that's important. And then how to, you know, really tap into the desire. And I think that your passion is your, the fuel for anything that you do in your life. And it, that is when you can tap into what you're passionate about. So I give you tools and tips and, um, you know, ways to move through to really find what you're passionate about. And the interesting thing is when your passion and your strengths align, there that's where your purpose is. And Absolutely. People always like, how, how can you find your purpose? And then one of my, I won't go through them all, but my, my, one of my favorite teachings in that course is how to break through your inner critic and how do you use it as fuel. And I use a lot of personal experiences in this, but I also give you the tips and the tools and the techniques um, on how to use that going forward. And so anybody that signs up um, before April 4th or August 14th um, gets a free one-on-one -on -one coaching or a complimentary one-on-one -on -one coaching. It's my gift to people um, with me. And then that way I can really get in touch to it really where they want to be sh shifted. And um, it's, you know, definitely an affordable, it's a great way to start working with a coach yeah, without doing. That sounds great. So actually we are out of time, but so I okay. thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It was fascinating. Um, and good luck with the city council race. Thank you, Kate. I appreciate it. And the book title was Loving What Is, and it's based on her, her Byron Katie stuff with the work. So um, Loving oh, What awesome. Is, that book. So, yeah. Um, thank you, Kate. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Have you ever thought of running for public office? Seems like a tough gig these days, but if anyone can have a positive impact, I'm sure Anna can. Who knows? This may be the start of a long political career, and she may be president someday. We'll see. In the meantime, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a comment on the show page, subscribe or follow the show, and please tell your friends. As always, you can find Anna's and all my guests' recommendations on my website, firstclasslifesolutions.com. Look for the resources tab. While you're there, why not sign up and get your complimentary core values worksheet? You may think you know what yours are, but I've had more than one client who's been surprised by the results. Speaking of results, next week, my guest will be Mary Shores. Mary is the founder and CEO of a multi-million dollar business, one of the most unique collection agencies in the country. Recognized as a leader of innovative thought, Mary has spent over a decade teaching businesses and individuals how to inspire others, create new ways of thinking, identify and achieve their goals, and take action to create truly meaningful results. 
She is a revolutionary founder of the groundbreaking Conscious Communication System, which produces positive results through positive action. Mary travels across the nation giving lectures and teaching courses and has been featured on local and national radio and television shows, podcasts, and blogs. I hope you'll join us. Until then, here's to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success. (music) 